I'm Drew Miller, and you're listening to The Second Muse, How Songs Become Songs, brought to you by the Rabbit Room Podcast Network. Today, I am joined by Andrew Peterson and Ben Shive. Andrew Peterson is a critically acclaimed singer-songwriter and author of the Wingfeather Saga. His work is informed by the desire, in C.S. Lewis's words, to find the place where all the beauty came from. This spiritual and aesthetic search has guided him through 11 studio albums, six of which he made with Ben Shive, himself a master of his craft. Shive has made an art of taking the core ideas of a song and innovating them in fleshed-out arrangements and sonic worlds, melodies calling and answering each other as if they had always existed. In this episode, we focus specifically on Andrew's song, Maybe Next Year, from his most recent record, Resurrection Letters, Volume 1. So, this podcast is called The Second Muse, How Songs Become Songs. And um, I'll begin by reading the quote that I got that name from. This is from Wendell Berry. He writes in his essay, Poetry and Marriage, There are, it seems, two muses, the muse of inspiration, who gives us inarticulate visions and desires, and the muse of realization, who returns again and again to say it is yet more difficult than you thought. This is the muse of form. It may be then that form serves us best when it works as an obstruction to baffle us and deflect our intended course. It may be that when we no longer know what to do, we have come to our real work. And when we no longer know which way to go, we have begun our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings. So, even just that sentence, the impeded stream is the one that sings, is just like too applicable <laughs> to songwriting, you know? Um, so I'd love to start and just open up that. It's super broad, just asking about your relationship with the muse of realization, the second muse, um, but take it in whatever direction you want, um, sure. both of you, uh, just along the process. You want me to go first? Yeah. Making songs. Well, I love that. Uh, that's amazing. I haven't read that essay. I've heard the last line of it. The impeded stream is the one that sings. And mm-hmm. It's kind of like a, yeah, say no more. That makes, yes, this is true. And um, and so I've thought for a while, I was just actually this morning talking to a band called Tri Patterns that's staying at our house while they're making a record about the fact that they're going into the recording this week without knowing what they're doing. And I told mm-hmm. them, yeah, my last two or three records, two or three something, maybe two records, I went into it with almost nothing. It was one of the scariest feelings I'd ever felt. Yeah. Um, and, but it, 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 that was like, I forget exactly how Wendell Berry put it, but where he said, um, when the point when you reach the point when you don't know what to do is when your real work begins. And, yeah. uh, f- f- putting yourself in situations where you have to take risks, where you're not comfortable, um, where you feel like you're beyond yourself. I really do agree that it, it, um, it's not a pleasant place to be, but I think it's pretty crucial. Yeah. What about you, Ben? I feel like being a producer puts me a lot. I'm like almost every day I spend with that muse. When I started 
being kind of apprenticed by Brown Bannister, it that began to reveal to me just how much work should be done in the last 10% of a record. It was more than mm. I thought it was. Because Brown, like with his vocal comping and vocal editing is so meticulous. And then I kind of realized from him, even though it seems like every other producer I work with already knew it, that you kind of really need to mix the record yourself before you turn it in to get mixed so that the mix guy will know what your vision is. And so mm. you, like things like that, I know that's sort of specific, but things like that have been just revealing to me how much how much care I'm, I need to really put into the process. And so much of it is just solving little puzzles. It's like, I think Ma like Max Martin is this producer who said that he's not a better producer than everybody else. It's just that he does transitions better than everybody else. <laughs> and it's like, so even to just realize, okay, I should be spending days just on transitions. Just like, what does the bar before the chorus do? Like, mm. let's spend six hours on that. That just reminded me of, uh, I saw a Martin Scorsese on some late night show one time and uh, maybe it was Letterman and he was like so you directed this movie like what does that even mean you're a director <laughs> and he thought for a second and he's like it means I make about 10,000 little decisions every day uh, so mm -hmm. I think and I think that's what you're doing you're yeah. just, somebody has to be the one to say no we're going to go this way instead of that way and then explore that room you know yeah um, because a lot of times I mean I'm not the kind of artist I have a general vision of the song but mm -hmm. then I'm very willing to turn over the keys or let Ben do the driving. He's the one making 10,000 little decisions every day, you know? Yeah, that's fascinating because you're both having another aspect of that same essay from Wendell Berry is this notion of fidelity to what you're making. And so I'm hearing that like each of you in the process of working on one song is going to have a different way of staying faithful to that idea. So mm -hmm. like you've been faithful to the inspiration that you had and then you turn it over to Ben who's faithful to the idea in a whole other way that that you couldn't be yeah and so that's one really of the ways cool. that I like that Andrew's faithful that I that I wish I could just impart to some of the writers that I work with is that he does a good job of just keeping the lines inside of his like inside of his mouth for a while and just kind of going like how does this turn over in my mouth how does this flow and oh, I feel like okay. a lot of writers don't don't just spend hours saying the line over over and over again to figure out what word could move or change so that it would flow better um, and have those you know little yeah. things those alliterations and internal rhymes that make a line feel like it was always meant to be yeah um, and that's a kind of fidelity to be like okay I wrote this line and it means what I mean for it to mean but it doesn't sing the way that it ought to sing. And so I'm mm -hmm. going to keep on working until it just flows right out of my mouth. I heard Paul Simon say once that um, uh, he, when he, he really cares about that thing, about his vocals, like the vocal yeah. is the crucial thing of the song. And he said that he would write a song and then because he's Paul Simon, he has the luxury of like taking lots of time. So he said he would write a song and record it and then go tour it and sing it on tour and then come back and re-record it and inevitably he would have found the better way to sing stuff and like uh because he'd gone out and kind of put the song to the test and then when he would uh comp vocals he said that he would sing the song 10 times and comp it down to one and then sing it 10 more times and comp it down to one and sing it 10 more times and do that 10 times and then comp between and then comp comps. the 10 comps down to the one vocal which Isn't I just that feel insane? sorry for his producer because that's a whole lot of work oh my goodness yeah I would be so sick of the song by that point yeah some aspect of the fidelity to the craft is having the sanity to be like and now we're done 
Yeah. It is time to be done because I need to write another song now. I need to keep on moving. Yeah. It's like you could you could spend your whole life trying to make one thing thing perfect or you could make one thing really good and then say time to go home and come back the next day and make another thing. Mm-hmm. I, and I think I don't know there's there's a there's a continuum there. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly where I am on the continuum. I definitely know people who are a little more insane than me and I definitely know people who are a little more laissez-faire than me. Yeah, there's this weird line that I'm afraid of crossing because I've I have, you know, I know some people who think and think and think and overthink a song to where it, it it's like sanding off all of the rough edges that give it its character. Yeah. Um that I like it when there's a few like angular things in a song things yeah. that kind of like stick out funny yeah um, because there's some character to it that kind of makes you ask makes me ask the question why did they why did he make that choice why did he do yeah. that as opposed to this little pristine perfect yes. little perfectly round thing oh my gosh um, wait have we talked about this because that's the exact so. image that's in my mind about mixing like i feel like people with a sometimes going into a mix what they do is they wait until they hear something stick out and then they ask for the mixer to turn that thing down oh and what you end up with is, I think, something that's yeah. perfectly round. Yeah. Kind of featureless in yeah. a way. Yeah. I mean, you have a relationship to the song. Like, that's that's the condition of being able to be faithful to it, is that it's telling you something and you're telling it something. And mm. so, it's just like a relationship with a human where you can smother it <laughs> and you can try to change it in a way that it doesn't want to be changed. And I think the song, maybe next year, is a good example of this feeling that I, what I'm afraid of is like thinking about those little lines and worrying about those lines so much that you end up getting off track. You've derailed yourself a little bit and you end up losing the thing that got you uh you kind of like what you've ended up with you feel like ah that's not what what we were that's not as good as we it was a little while back and going back feels really difficult does that make sense yeah sometimes you push through it and you end up landing you've got to like kill your darlings and all that kind of idea that that can be true but there are there have been songs i've i've been a part of where i felt like we went too far and Mm -hmm. we crossed a line of no return it kind of just like oh i'm not as excited about this song as i was yesterday what happened I keep thinking of how there's even parallels. I mean, there's a reason that Barry wrote poetry in marriage and he's comparing marriage to the form of a poem and keeping that form um, where there's like the falling in love that is actually like the 1% of the whole experience of marriage. And that's kind of akin to the muse of inspiration. Like you have that spark, whether it's an idea for a song or whatever it is. And you want to keep that, like you want to keep some relic of that moment of inspiration, but the negotiating of how that's going to take form is the majority of the relationship. Yeah. 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 So let's, let's spend just a minute on resurrection letters as a whole Yeah. and just like briefly characterize how it's, it's the two of you. The muse of inspiration and the second muse all together working like what was the what were the relationships there near the beginning we kind of had this idea of the mystery of faith christ has died christ has risen christ will come again so we had this idea to structure the record around that and so there's like maybe four or five songs in each of those categories and um and in each category there's a narrative song there's a um, sort of like a worship song or like a, more like a prayer song. 
and and then there's um what else is there oh there's a there's a today kind of narrative yeah, like a, so there's like mm-hmm. a application like a life application like one that tells kind of like more of a bible story one about like this is how we feel about this and yeah, yeah, and it's like yeah. inviting corporate worship. Yeah, so yeah, is he worthy? Absolutely. Would be the the worship song of which section? I can't remember. Which the section. Christ will come again section. Right. But we, well, the funny thing is, we ended up. I ended up changing the sequence by the right. time it all was. was but that was then. still yeah. that. That was what that gave us a structure for working. Yeah. And I think I I don't know how you felt about it, Ben, but the I kind of felt like even as we were doing it, I was like, this will not be an obvious feature on the record. Yeah. But this is a necessary part of the process for us yeah. to get into this thing. It's like a scene it. that you don't want to show. Yeah. Yeah, but it was a, it was enough of a roadmap to where, you know, we could get our hands dirty a little bit. And we had just worked, as far as the sound of the record, we had just done that Rich Mullins uh, concert, and we were like, we should do something that feels not too of this moment, like something that feels kind of classic so it gave us a framework of like okay i'm not going to be looking for super weird sounds on my keyboard and you know Mm -hmm. whatever not going to be because you know we've we've gone that direction before light for the lost boy was a little more of the moment and yeah so we Mm -hmm. you know that gave us a little framework of what i was going to do when i first started a track i was going to probably make sure that it was based around a piano or an acoustic guitar or something like that and then work outward from there which has so much to do with the lyrical content. I mean, you're you're leaning on liturgies and yeah, and these themes that are so huge, and it's that's really cool that even like the musical tropes are sort of equivalents of Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. These things that we've heard, yeah, and we had the living the f- into volume two, which came out ten years ago. We wanted them to feel like they belong together, yeah. And so. It was like, you know, paying it. That was the way we had recorded back then. We hadn't gotten terribly experimental at that point. And so it was like, yeah, making the, making those two records sound the same. Yeah. Um, or at least like they belong yeah. together. Yeah. One, one more observation is that it makes more intuitive sense to think that there's a moment of inspiration and then you chisel it over time. Mm-hmm. But it's cool to hear that the way that you found inspiration was more through setting limits and structure yeah. on the outset of writing and then yeah. coming to that. And, and I mean, that also embodies what it means to engage in the liturgy. Like you show up and let yourself be formed by the structure of the, mm-hmm. yeah. the liturgy and the inspiration will come somewhere. Like you'll, you'll right. feel the spirit um, and it might be in a different place today than it was last week. But yep. that's, that's really cool that, that's how you found those mm. sparks was by setting yourself up for it. All right, let's jump into the song and then we can hear about how it got to where it is. Maybe next year, na, 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 na. At the Western Wall, I bowed my head. I knew that every word I read was true. As a prophet spoke from another age And the song rose up from the sacred page to you But I never felt so near I never felt so far away But you tore the curtain and shook the ground The saints woke up and they walked around And resurrection came to town that day Like in that city that we long for, that we feel so far away, where the dawn will drive away our tears, and we'll meet in the new. Dream. 
Before we continue, a special word of thanks to our sponsor, Lipscomb University. Lipscomb is a nationally ranked research university located in Nashville. They are an intentionally courageous and gracious Christian community. At Lipscomb, you engage top quality academics integrated with faithful spiritual direction, preparing you for your life's work. Learn more at lipscomb.edu. And now, back to our podcast. So, I mean, like my impression, I'll sort of take the place as like listener who just knows this version of the song. Um, it sounds really effortless. Like it, it sounds like it's just, it does not sound like a song that went through like a million iterations, if that uh, makes sense. It sounds like yay. a chorus. And <laughs> I don't see the scene. I can't hear that about it. <laughs> yeah, of course you can't. Like, but I, when you said that this was the one that went through all of these versions, I was like, really? Like, I mean, it sounds like just this easy flow of ideas and, and then like the refrain is just, it just belongs there. So I think one thing that's true about that is that the verses of the song did remain, as far as I remember, pretty much intact through all the versions. And actually the verses were, I think what, caused us to feel uncomfortable with the early versions of it well let's listen yeah. to the first version and <laughs> so well if you want you can we, we can play the uh the demo so the voice memo was recorded september 5th so it was about a month before we started recording yeah right um and uh it was just i was in my office and came up with a little jangly guitar part and started mm-hmm. singing this mumbly that's how I usually do it is there's like a, a guitar part with me kind of going <laughs> over the top of it. So it's super embarrassing to yeah. share this, but That's, that's kind of where it started. I remember we were in the studio and Ben was working on another song, which was kind of the way we usually did it was mm. Ben would uh, be kind of chiseling away at some idea and then I would be in the other room trying to write a lyric or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I came in, I was like, oh yeah, I found this voice memo. What do you think about this? And played it and I remember you got excited about it. And so then I guess we recorded We recorded the, that, which we could play we, in a second. Yeah, yeah, we just recorded this quick kind of mapped out a two minute, something like that structure of what could be a song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was this. Which we liked. I mean, we were excited oh, about that's that. that's fun. Yeah, oh, there's so a lot fun. that's good about it. But I think the problem came when we started trying to do vocals over that. And it was just like, oh, it's a little, yeah. a little quick for it. And I don't know. And so then I remember there was this moment where we were, you know, um, we were being impeded. Yeah. We kind of like hit this wall. It was like, I just don't know if this is working. And then we went into the piano room of the studio and Ben started singing the same verses over a different way of playing it. And I remember that was the moment where we found the phrase maybe next year. You know, at the end of Passover, people would say next year in Jerusalem. Um, And the idea of kind of drawing attention to that in a kind of a subtle way. Like I remember when Ben first sang the phrase, maybe next year, and you went back to the piano thing, I got a big lump in my throat. I was like, yes, there mm-hmm. is the magic. I'm so glad we abandoned that other version, and now we've got this version. Um, but it was just uh-huh. like, 
exchanging one really complex problem for another really complex problem. We So we booked a tracking session, but then I, I kind of started listening to the rough from that tracking session and just felt like there was still fun, fundamentally something missing about the song. And that was when we came up with that chorus that's the in the city that we long for. That wasn't part of it at all. How were yeah, we there ending the verses before? It was like the verses were ending with... Um, like, nothing it was like may, we would just sing maybe next year na 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 so yeah. like you are the rock and the cornerstone you are the, the temple, temple of flesh you are the door on the way back home, home again. again maybe next year and I think we just felt like there's yeah. just something maybe missing maybe next year na 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 yeah. na na we had already tracked the whole album and so yeah. in order to track this song we had to call everybody to do it live so it was like okay yeah good this is well, the magic of you know playing it live or whatever yeah. and so then we were kind of committed to that Right, with, without the chorus. Without so we the tracked chorus. the version without the chorus, uh-huh. and then we wrote the chorus. So then that created a new problem, because we didn't want Man. to track it again. Because we didn't have anything in f- from the tracking session that had that chord progression. We just had to cut and paste those chords to make the chorus, if you know what I mean. Because they were and all so in the room like, together, so it wasn't like you could isolate the drums. <laughs> right. yeah. It was like, yeah. So right. I had to be like, well, they played an F chord here, so boom, there's the F chord that starts the chorus, or whatever key we're in. And and then we had to kind of go like, okay, well, there needs to be the the drum the chorus is asking for a drum fill in the middle of it, so I've got to like, you know, create a drum fill out of other drum fills that are in the song. So it it ended up no like way. we wanted to do something that was very live and organic, but we ended up having <laughs> to Frankenstein it after all. Yeah, um, that's crazy. I mean, like, because when you when you got to the part of the story where you tracked it live, I was like, oh yeah, and that I can hear that. Like yeah, it sounds we live. Wow, yeah. that's awesome. And it's like, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and then we yeah. piece together this yeah. live tracking. And then so we sad. were on tour. We were on the Christmas tour, and uh, the album was being finished while we were on the road. And that one, I feel like, did the mix come back? I forget what happened, but we, we had listened to it and made it like, oh, it just we need gang vocals we need you know it it needed more stuff on it and so the nice thing was on the christmas tour we had a bus full of really great singers and players and so i remember you would like set up a little makeshift studio and somebody would come and record some part uh kind of backstage and and even then after we finally were like okay there's the song and we sent it off to mix there were there were even like there was a moment in the song i remember where it was like it's too long in this section we have to take out a bar to shrink this thing up just to kind of like whittle it all together and then at the very end ben had the idea of adding he was like do you have the voice memo of when you're actually walking around at the western wall yeah and i had it so he threw that in at the beginning and the end to kind of tie it together tell a story yeah so okay along the way moments of inspiration and moments of being (sighs) impeded you started with music with this jangly thing on a guitar so you had the music that was exciting which ended up being scrapped completely which is so often the case too right when i started traveling with andrew i think i don't remember if it was on his recommendation but i read the writing life by annie dillard which is fantastic Mm. i recommend it Mm. and one the first chapter is maybe not all about but largely about the idea of like knocking down the load-bearing wall while you're while you're building just realizing like there's no other way. This is the thing that I thought that was the cornerstone and the central idea that was going to hold it all together. And now I have to get rid of it. And where will I be once I do that? Mm-hmm. You had this form musically and then you started writing lyrics, but the lyrics almost like outgrew <coughs> the music that yeah. was yeah. It, its original facilitator. And then when you sat down at the piano and slowed it down and made it more of a ballad, right? it like clicked. Yeah, until it didn't. Until it didn't, because you didn't have a chorus, and right. then you wrote a chorus. 
Yeah. So it's like you had these different forms that served their purpose for like a portion of the writing, and then they had done their job and you had yeah. to throw them away, like shedding skins almost. Yeah. From the producing angle for a minute, like I think one of the issues with a song like this one is that there's these long spaces in between all the lines and the verses, which is fine. That's great. Um, but it makes it so that you're going, okay, we've got to create a nice rhythm of like, okay, after this line, it's the accordion. And then after that line, someone else is. That accordion is such a, such a winner. And <laughs> I, I think that so that much. was brought in like sort of last minute because it was like, dang, we need, we need one more thing to help carry us. Paul Simon talks about this too. It's, mm-hmm. all, it's almost like, what do people need to help them know where they are? Signposts. It, yeah, it's like it's yeah. like okay, we're about to go to the chorus, and you don't want to tell it to them in a way that's too like cotton candy, like, whoosh, or you do if it's pop, it's a certain kind Sometimes, of pop music. Yeah, it depends. But but it's like I mean, it's like the cymbal swell is the original version of that. It's like you know, for hundreds of years, people have gone, we need something to tell us we're going to the chorus, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, or so, even that you're ending a song. Yeah, I mean, that's, right. That's the really easy example. Yeah, lying fruit of. Classical so music. That's that last huge chords at the percent that I was talking about. A production is just going like, what are we missing that will help our people come along for the ride and be like, feel the thing that we want them to feel at the moment that we want them to feel it. Brandon Hayes, uh, who I travel with, um, said, I forget where he heard it, but he said that in some songwriting class, maybe at Belmont, he said that uh, the listener wants to be right 75% of the time. Mm, I've never which heard that. I think it's pretty great. It's like you, you, you establish a pattern they enjoy the pattern and then sometimes you throw them for a you know give them a left turn I to love keep them listening I love yeah this it's, so it's pretty fascinating so like you know a song like this you're exactly what you're talking about like yeah give them signals and roadmaps but not so much that they get bored yeah so that they can so they're not, not curious about what's around the next corner yeah. which is why you know i love the one of my favorite parts of songwriting is uh, um, how do we make the last chorus a little different? How do we oh, yeah. sing them on the third verse in a way that uh, you know subverts their expectations just a little bit, um, keeps people paying attention? Which also reminds me of the Paul Simon thing where he talked about how if he gives if he writes a really complex line, he tends to follow up the complex line with something that says "Oh baby, yeah, yeah, yeah." Mm-hmm. so that the listener has a chance to process it, you know yeah. give them something that's obvious and allows them to kind of sing along or sure. not have to isn't taxing um yeah. intellectually and uh and so i feel like it's a really wordy song there's a lot going on but uh in the verses but then when you get to the the, the na 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 section everybody kind of goes oh yeah maybe next year that's what this song is about it kind of circles back around and reminds them what the thing what the point is to me as a listener that's the moment that the verses land like i i'm mm-hmm. taking in this these words intellectually and they're rich and challenging and then having this more emotional simple refrain it's interesting that we found that refrain mm-hmm. uh the maybe next year refrain and we were like yes we've got it but then it wasn't working because there wasn't a chorus yet you know what yeah. i mean so we had found the element but the element had to be actually moved back in time yeah even farther in the song and there needed to be a new idea introduced in order to make the the that refrain support what was being said in the verses you yeah know what i'm saying so i don't know i i love that stuff and i was so thrilled when ben called me and i think it was a, a voice memo you sent me you were just like oh yeah i was walking my dog and i came up with this chorus and you sang the thing and it's like oh there's there's the thing that gets us to the thing that we needed in that city that we long for that we feel so far away where the dawn will drive away our tears and we'll need 
This episode was recorded by Evan Redwine and Asher Peterson. For more episodes of The Second Muse and for more great podcasts, visit rabbitroom.com slash podcasts. And thanks for listening. Next year, next year, next year,